You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Imagine being bitten by a poisonous snake and suffering no ill effects. Or imagine being able to drink a vial of deadly poison and living to tell the tale. Or waking up one morning and being able to speak a multitude of different languages fluently. Jesus promised all these things to his disciples before he ascended up into heaven. He told them to tarry in Jerusalem and they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, they did, and they received all these gifts and more. They could heal the sick. They could even raise the dead. The Bible tells us that except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This verse from John 3, the very words of the Lord Jesus Christ, have many Bible readers wondering, do I have the Holy Spirit? I've never spoken in tongues, I can't heal the sick, and I certainly don't have the confidence to drink a vial of deadly poison. But I do believe in God. I've been baptized, and I try to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. But because I don't have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, does that mean I can't enter the kingdom of God? What does being born of the Spirit really mean? And for that matter, what is the Holy Spirit? And do believers today possess the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Join us at Bible Basics webinar as we consider all these questions, as we consider the power of God and how it can work in your life today. So what do you think of when you hear the term Holy Spirit? You might think of the Trinity, you might think of the power of God, or your mind might immediately turn to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, those first century abilities of the apostles to speak in tongues, to heal the sick, to even drink deadly poison. Now, if you have a copy of the King James Version of the Bible, uh, many of them are from 1611, you will find that that version of the Bible uses the term Holy Spirit four times. Well, another term, the Holy Ghost, is used 90 times. I remember as a kid hearing about the, the term Holy Ghost and actually being a little bit scared. I pictured the ghosts that I knew from scary books and from Halloween. And of course, the English language has changed over the years and, and words have taken on different meanings. And because of that, most of the modern translations now use the word spirit in place of ghost. In our family and in our church, we generally read Holy Spirit, even when we read the King James Bible. But even that word is perhaps difficult to understand. What does it mean? 
Well, we could go back, and I think we should go back to the original Greek language. So just like we might get the wrong idea when we read ghost in the King James Version, we might get the wrong idea of the Holy Spirit if we don't look at how it's defined in the Bible. So in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, there's two words that we have. We have the word holy and we have the word uh, spirit. Holy comes from the Greek word that you see on the screen there, and it refers to something that is sacred or pure, really the idea of being something that's, that's different, but in a, in a sacred way, in a holy way. The second word is uh, the word pneuma, and uh, you might think of that word from our English word pneumonia, related to our lungs and breathing, and it really means a current of air or a breath. So at the time of the writing of the New Testament, which is, of course, what we're interested in, the meaning of Holy Spirit was that of a sacred breath or a, a sacred or pure current of air. In other words, an invisible power that was important, that was sacred, that was doing good things. It was like the wind, but uh, unique and different. In some way, it's associated with God, and in some way, it's holy. And I find it helpful to look at verses in the Bible that provide definitions of Bible terms. And so up on the screen is a, a very clear verse in the Gospel of Luke, a verse that has to do with the birth of Jesus. These are actually the words you can see on the screen of, of Gabriel to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And you can see that I've used the, the King James Version. You can see there the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. See, I'm so accustomed to saying it. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And uh, we generally read the word Holy Spirit. So you might ask, well, how does this verse provide a definition of the Holy Spirit? Well, often in verses, you'll find parallel phrases. So the Bible will say the same thing in two different ways, just like we might in our speech. So we've got here uh, two phrases, the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, or the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. So you can see in blue, the two ideas that are parallel, telling us that the Holy Spirit equals the power of the highest or the power of God. And you can see that it would come upon Mary or it would overshadow her. Those are the same ideas that confirm what we're looking at. Mary would have never conceived a child without the divine power of God. So God used his power or his Holy Spirit to cause her to have a child. Now think back to the Greek meaning of, of Holy Spirit, uh, a sacred or holy current of air, an invisible power from God. And that concept actually shows up in, in the first two verses of the Bible. In the Old Testament, so this isn't just a New Testament concept, we see the concept in Genesis chapter 1 where it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So the beginning of chapter one, we've got uh, earth that's void, and at the end, it's full of life. There's life on the land, there's life in the sea, there's life in the air, a multitude of diverse creatures. Well, how did that happen? It happened by the spirit of God, by the power of God working. God breathed out power and life was created. Genesis says over and over again, and God said, and it happened. That's the ultimate power. So biblically speaking, we have a very simple definition that the Holy Spirit is God's power. So if you think about that question, do you have the Holy Spirit? Well, what did God breathe what else did God do with his breath in chapters one and two in creation? Well, he made man. He formed man 
out of the dust of the earth in Genesis 2 verse 7 and breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. So we're alive because of that breath of life. We're alive because we have God's spirit within us. So in a way, if you're alive, you possess the spirit of God. Look at the description of death from the book of Job. It says, if he set his heart upon man, this is God, if he gather unto himself his power or his spirit, his breath, you can see the two words connected again, all flesh shall perish together and man shall turn again to dust. Without God's power, we would just be inanimate objects. So in a sense, you have the spirit of God even today. But I don't think that covers the entire topic. That's not what people think about when they think about possession of the Holy Spirit. So think about this concept here in Luke chapter 24. Not too many days before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples that they would receive the power from on high, the power. And after he left them to go to God's right hand, Jesus told his disciples to remain in Jerusalem. He reminded them the very day of this when he ascended up to his father in heaven in Acts chapter 1. And you'll notice here in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the parallelism again. You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit is come upon you. There's our definition again. God promised the apostles that after his ascension to heaven, God would share his power with them. And as we follow the progression, we know what it would help them to do. It would help them to, to witness, in other words, to preach the gospel, to tell others about Jesus' death and resurrection, to share with them Jesus' teaching. And so what powers did God give the apostles to do that? Well, we're all told in Mark chapter 16 that he gave them certain powers. He gave them powers to speak in different languages. That's the new tongues. He gave them powers to do things like pick up serpents, get bitten, and not die. They could drink poison and live. They would even be able to heal the sick. And how would this help them preach the gospel? Well, the idea of languages is easy. They were able to preach to people of all different languages. And that came in handy that very day because in Jerusalem, there were people from dozens of countries that came to Jerusalem to hear about, uh, to celebrate the, the, the festival. And thousands were baptized. And they could suddenly speak different languages to preach the message to them. What about picking up poisonous snakes or, or healing the sick? Well, that would have been a very visible witness that God was with them. Would have helped dispel any doubts that people had that were skeptical. And drink poison? Well, it doesn't sound like uh, you would drink it to show off, but maybe if someone was trying to, to poison them or put them to death. In other words, God was going to provide them with protection for doing his work. And so the apostles possessed the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not in the sense that we do, like we're alive, but in the sense that they were given specific powers to accomplish a specific job. And you know what? In the Bible, that wasn't a particularly rare occurrence. We think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit as being those given to the apostles, but we find this elsewhere in the Bible. If we were to go to Judges 14, and I've got a picture there of Samson, it tells us that the spirit of God or the Lord came upon Samson. And what could Samson do with his power? Well, Samson could kill a lion with his bare hands. He could overpower 30 Philistines. He could break the cords that were bound, um, binding him up. And in his last act of power, he could push down the supporting power pillars of the Philistine palace. And so God, in another circumstance, shared his power 
with an individual to accomplish a specific task. Samson's task was to deliver Israel from the Philistines. But when that job was done, the power was gone. Another example in Exodus chapter 35, this is a bit more obscure, but when uh, Israel came out of the world or out of uh, Egypt, they were in the wilderness and God wanted them to build a tabernacle, a place to worship. The trouble was that Israelites were shepherds. They were laborers used to working for Pharaoh, making bricks. How would you build a tabernacle of gold and silver and embroidered cloth? Well, God filled a man named Bezalel and other men with his spirit, with his Holy Spirit powers. And what were they able to do? Well, they were able to work with silver and gold and cut and, and set gemstones. They were able to carve wood and embroider and weave fibers. But when the job was done, that was it. Those powers went away. So how do these two examples help us understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to the 11 apostles? Well, just like in the first century, when God shared his power, like he did with Samson and with Bezalel, he gave them power to do extraordinary things instantly. And he gave them power for a specific purpose. And when the purpose was accomplished, the gifts would end. And so the apostles were given powers appropriate to preaching the gospel, to speak in different languages, to perform miracles, to be protected from those that would hate them. And what we're told in 1 Corinthians, a section that talks about the gifts that were given in the first century, is that we're told that they would, that they would end. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So those gifts that he gave to the apostles were, were told that they would end. When something more perfect came, as you can see at the end of the verse, then they would, they would disappear. And that something was the Bible. So all the things that the apostles preached and all the things that they recorded about the life of Jesus Christ were written down. And when that gift was given to us, then those other gifts were taken away. So just like we don't expect to be able to suddenly kill a lion or knock down a temple, just like we don't suddenly expect to be an expert in embroidery, we don't expect to instantly speak German or Spanish. We don't expect to be immune to poisons. But we have to admit that God's Holy Spirit is still influencing our lives today. God's power is strong in our lives, not just giving us the breath of life that we, we don't die, but God is working in our life in many different ways. His power, in, in other words, is still moving upon the face of the earth. And one of the most amazing ways that we believe God is working is through the message of the Bible, that perfect thing that he promised would come through the work of the apostles. I want to finish just by taking you to a, a set of parallel verses like we did in the beginning of this session, but this time from two different passages. So look at this passage from Ephesians. Paul tells the believers that they should be filled with the Spirit of God. We should be filled with the Spirit of God. And notice how that's the opposite in verse uh, 18 there of being drunk with the wine of the, of the thoughts of the world. We should be filled with the Spirit of God. And you can see what follows after that we can thus speak in psalms and hymns. We can, we can speak words that are, that are holy, that are separate, that come from God. Well, 
What's fascinating is that there's a parallel book to the book of Ephesians. It's called the book of Colossians, written to the believers in another city in Colossae. And look what this verse says from Colossians chapter 3. And note at the end of the verse here that whatever we do at the beginning allows us to teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, just the same things that we were told in Ephesians. But notice the parallel in blue text. In Colossians, he tells us to be, to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So one of the most significant ways that God is working in our lives today is through his Bible. We can fill our minds with the words of God and of Christ. It's a powerful book that can change our lives. God works in, in many, many ways in our lives, but one of the most effective is through reading his holy scriptures. Well, let's finish with this verse in John chapter 3. This is the verse that tells us that in order to enter the kingdom of God, we need to be born of water and of the spirit. What did Jesus mean when he said we need to be born of water and of the spirit before we can enter the kingdom of God? I'd like to enter the kingdom of God. I need to know what that means. Well, while it's not our topic this evening, being born of water clearly speaks of baptism. God wants us to be baptized once we learn the truth of what the, teach, uh, the, the Bible teaches. But what does he mean that we need to be born of the Spirit? Does it mean that we need to speak in tongues and, and heal the sick, like those special gifts that God gave to the apostles? Or does it mean that we need to have the strength of Samson to kill lions with our own hands? Or do we have to have special skills to embroider the curtains of the temple and set the gemstones in the breastplate of the high priest? Well, what it really means is that we need to have God's power working in our lives. We need to let God change our character and develop our faith. We need to allow God to direct our lives just like the wind invisibly moves the trees. And remember that according to the Bible, the sword of the spirit is the word of God that we have in our hands. God's word, the Bible, the teachings of Jesus Christ, this perfect word of God is the power of God that is working in our lives today. And God's power can work if we read it and if we allow it to change our lives. So let's all take on that challenge and allow God to change our lives. If you found this video helpful, then make sure to go to our website to find other Bible study materials. And also don't forget to take the quiz by using the link down below. If you take enough quizzes, you'll earn some awesome rewards as well as some very useful Bible study tools. We at Bible Basics Webinar also specialize in individual and small group Bible studies. You can text us by using the phone number that's also down in the description, as well as our email to get more information about our Zoom and in-person classes. And of course, thank you so much for watching Bible Basics Webinar, where we use the Bible to learn about God.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.